The Incomparable Podcast, episode 33. We're back on The Incomparable Podcast. I am Jason Snell, your host, and I am forcibly dragging members of our panel into this podcast, which is about one of my very favorite movies of all time. I love uh, the the film Real Genius. I love it unconditionally. I love it unironically. Um, I love it despite the fact, and now given that, I, knowing who's on this podcast now, given its many flaws, some of which I will list right now up front, which is it has an extremely weird and pointless plot involving a military laser. It has some really questionable casting um, in the in the name of Gabe Jarrett as Mitch Taylor, and it, it does have three, count them, three 1980s musical montages. Joining me here to talk about Real Genius and the weird laser thing and the questionable casting and the guy who lives in the basement and so much more uh some fine fine and kind people including dan morin who you just heard hi dan hi jason glenn fleischman who like me is from the 80s i saw this movie and i loved it then and i love it now bless you uh serenity caldwell hello jason hello thank you for watching real genius (laughs) and uh john syracusa I'm here for you, Jason. Thank, uh, yeah, here, yeah. I, I, you will tell me flaws in this movie that I have never noticed in watching it a hundred times. This is like some kind of weird, <laughs> weird reverse intervention. It's like yes. a codependency meeting, I think. Yeah, we should say that mm-hmm. in 1985, there were three summer movies that were science-themed. There was the absolutely atrocious My Science Project. Oh, yeah. The, the um, wow. Anthony Michael Hall comedy Weird Science and um and this movie real real genius and and what ended up happening was weird science was a hit my science project was a failure and rightly so and real genius was kind of just kind of floating around and became in the end i think it's fair to say a cult classic because i do mention this movie and people perk up and go oh i love that movie which um, surprises me because i thought it was just me quite honestly no no it's not it's never just you so um you know I, I don't even know where to begin with this. I could can I can I can I ask you then because I have an idea I, something I want to ask you. Have yes. you now just watch this movie? Yes, new viewer. Um, uh, defend the indefense. No, um, <laughs> that's another podcast. Gabe Jarrett is an excellent choice as Mitch Taylor. I yes. don't know why they would cast anybody. But Gabe him. Jarrett does not even remotely look like a girl. No. Um, so I, I guess, you know, seeing this for the first time as, as an adult, and, and I enjoyed parts of the movie, and I found parts of it amusing, but I guess I, am, I, am, I find myself perplexed, one might say, as to why, what is your, what is the, causes the strength of your attachment? Is it just a nostalgia thing, or is there there's something in particular that, that draws you to this movie? You know, it's, it is a combination of things, as you might expect. I, I think... You know, yes, I saw this movie in the theater in the summer of 1985, and I didn't actually see a lot of movies in the movie theater um, when I was a kid because I lived in a small town, and it was kind of difficult to get to the movie theater, believe it or not. But um, it, 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 I don't think it's just nostalgia. I thought that for a while, and then as I've watched it again and again over the years, you know, number one is probably that this is one of the rare movies that is about a group of smart people who are being smart and um it's it's portrayed positively it's it's not a movie where you know it's not a revenge of the nerds kind of movie or a movie where there's the smart you know socially maladjusted kid who's part of the ensemble they're you know this is pacific tech which is essentially caltech they're smart people doing smart things and they've got their quirks and all of that but i really like that that it's it's about smart people and they're and they're you know 
laser people and they have the crazy inventions and there's the guy who's entering the the sweepstakes so that he'll win 30 percent of the prizes a lot of the story uh really seems to be based on actual stories or famous stories whether they're real or not that were circling around caltech so i think that's part of it um you know a lot of the a lot of the character interaction is 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 fun the dialogue is really fun it's not about the plot and that's actually the thing that i remember as i watched it over and over again i i, I came to realize that clearly the biggest liability in this movie from my perspective is the plot that there is this bizarre it doesn't really make sense i mean it holds together just just enough (laughs) it's it's the worst i mean it it would be better i think you could argue if there was other than that it's the through line of of the movie because they're researching the laser beam the whole last 20 minutes the movie um other than kent being wired to hear the voice of God to tell him to stop masturbating, the, the whole movie kind of falls off a cliff because we get these terrible, like, blue screen shots of a model plane, and we get, like, Mitch has got a mustache. It's become all, um, like, war games like Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. Games. Yeah, it's exactly. like, well, I noticed when watching this how many plots there were. There is a main, there's a two-line <laughs> plot, but I'm, like, I'm watching them, like, wait, that's a whole other thing. And like, wait, they just introduced this Asian guy we haven't seen before. And of course, he's a super smart Asian guy who can like freeze the hallway so people can sled it. And like, where did he come from? Now he's a critical cast member, like in Ghostbusters, when they bring in the black guy, like halfway through, you've never seen before. And suddenly he's a critical component to the story. Like, what Well, the he, he's hanging around in the background. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but but he's, you know, it is. It's like, well, we've got, there. there's the laser team and there's like six of those guys. And then there's like 10 guys in the dorm plus one woman. Um, and it, it's, um, it is very strange. You're right. Cause there's the Jerry Hathaway plot and there's kind of the Kent plot and there's the kind of Mitch redeeming himself plot and the rede- and the redemption of Chris Knight. Well, there's, there's two plots involving women sleeping with men for inexplicable reasons. Right, right. Well, because the, yes. there's the woman who is yeah. the, the headhunter of geniuses. Women don't come off very well in this movie, unfortunately. No. It's true. That's the 80s for you. Other, other yeah, that than, is the 80s. Well, o- other than, you know, Jordan, who's one of them. But it's Caltech, so, you know, I, I, I kind of accept that that's the mindset there. So, Dan, does that make any sense to you? That I think I think there are lots of funny lines and some likable characters and, you know, I, you know and the, the whole idea of it being a movie about kind of smart people doing smart things. I, I'm fascinated that, as Glenn brought up, I mean – uh, war games is another like there's this there's this theme and i think probably a lot of it has to do with you know this was 80s the era of like high tech becoming big the era of things like uh well star wars by not by which i mean not the the movies but like the the strategic defense initiative like you know lasers were a thing at last our star wars podcast well the threat the threat <laughs> of you know nuclear war the sort of declining threat of nuclear war but also the cold war aspect because i think of this i think of war games and i think of short circuit all of which have very similar themes about smart people realizing maybe wait the, this I thought I was just making something awesome and it turned out to be used as a weapon. This right. death um, ray I invented, this death ray that shoots beams <laughs> from the sky, they're going to use it to kill people. Oh my god! Well, it's the same. I and Short Circuit has the exact same plot. It's, <laughs> I built this robot because I thought it would be cool, and the they turned it into a weapon. And like, there's definitely a pacifistic streak going through all oh, these yeah. movies. Ren, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, I think it's funny. At some point in the movie, they're like, what did you think this laser was going to be used for? Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, it's all one-upsmanship, right? It's just that they've been yeah. given an assignment by their evil um, professor, William Atherton. So um, why not? Uh, in you some know. ways, there's a more damning movie there. If you take out like that scene at the very beginning, 
where they show them using the like the prototype for the late, oh we've got to we got to build this thing because like we're over budget or whatever and you know overdue like in some ways there's a much more sinister movie if you just frame it all around the idea of these college kids being egged on to create this laser and then don't pull out like the oh by the way it's being used by the military thing at the end and i think in some ways there is much more of a if we're duped into it along with the the these sort of smart students who are you know maybe kind of know it in the back of their head but aren't really thinking about that then i think there's there's a more interesting thing there but you know that's i think they wrote a book about that and it was called ender's game (laughs) it's a good book so so um william atherton let's talk about him for a little bit he he is the he is jerry hathaway the professor of lasers i guess at caltech in this movie or laserology i believe supposed to be a little seems to be supposed to be a little carl sagany like he's got a tv show called everything yes yeah the colon what does it look like um and random people random parents know of him right where there's like when he's first in the science fair and they're walking around like oh can i have your autographs Okay. I, so I think he was perhaps best known for his scientific invention of the shoulder pads. This is or has William Atherton actually built like that? Because I swear, in every movie, he's got, like, crazy shoulder pads. He's got big, pointy shoulders. It's just, you know, don't make fun of the man for big, pointy shoulders. I'll make fun of him for being the 80s douchebag extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah, well, th- that's the thing. Die Hard, Die Hard, Real Genius, and Ghostbusters, for me, th- th- that is the... the pinnacle of of william atherton these three great parts where he is just a a, a jerk and and i love this one the best because he's the most well-rounded of a jerk in a way he's realistic because i watched it i was like there are absolutely professors exactly like that who abuse their students they're teaching their classes get them to do everything for them steal their work and sell it all for the research money to build big houses there's also a great movie where he and the um, defense contractor, uh, the defense contractor is driving him somewhere on campus for a meeting, and a student looks at the car and he takes the defense contractor's head and and shoves it down into his uh, in, in, into the guy's lap, and the guy's like, "What are you doing? You could have killed us." He said, "Yeah, but he saw me." He's like so self centered about the fact that um, you know he's the famous professor that he's he he will do stupid things like. Uh, almost get himself killed in a car accident but it's a great it's a great part and um and he has no i mean he has no favorites because it's all about him so there's the uh suck up character of kent who uh who is very convinced that he and jerry have a very tight relationship but in fact kent can't really give jerry what he wants which is this don't call me jerry don't call me by my first name i guess it goes from (laughs) god to jerry to you to the cleaners as the line goes, I can I could be here all night doing. Kent that. is the Kent is the um, absolute like it, you could say most of the characters in this movie. I, I think that's actually one of the strengths of the movie is most of the characters in this movie and most of the plot are absolutely cookie cutter nineteen eighties standard issue characters. And Kent is one of the worst of the lot. He's that like unbelievable, oh, yeah. you know, person like even Jordan is semi believable compared to Kent. And yet somehow they put all those things together in the box and they shake them and it's appealing. It's funny. It doesn't take itself too seriously at times. The end it does, but it's sort of mm. silly. It has stupid stuff. There's like beauticians and bathing suits and student laser light shows. Beauticians. Student beauticians. It's a very important oh. distinction that is made in the movie. Mine's These are not oh. beauticians. We're not good enough for beauticians. beauticians as as Brian beauticians. Adams plays in the background and they do water slides in a in an auditorium. Everything in the 80s is in this movie. It is. <laughs> it is. But it's not awful. It's really enjoyable. I was watching it. There's some dull points, and the end is kind of dumb, you know, but it's still, I really was like, oh, that was really fun to watch. Partly, I mean, they end on a high note, you know, house full of popcorn. You can't, you can't, you know, lose the house full of popcorn. So that is, yeah. 
I gotta say, it's it's very nostalgic for me in a weird way because my father taught at Caltech. So, from from age three or four to age sixteen, I came to. He's a music. He was a music professor, and he held the Glee Club. So I was on campus pretty much three to five days a week from age four to age sixteen. So, seeing like the first the first third of the movie is almost very very much like wait a second i this this all seems far too familiar and and then the beautician school which is oh so cleverly disguised for pcc which is down the street the public community college <laughs> it's just it, it was it was very strange for me to watch did you uh notice the big hole in the statue in the center of campus that was drilled there by an errant laser yes Oh yeah, sure that, 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 I'm that sure was, that's, that's still there. That definitely happens. I mean, random laser part and and laser paths to laser parties. Oh sure. Well, they have the little laser splitter that lights up the sign that says that there's a party. What else would you do with a laser? Certainly not use it as a weapon. I mean, it's amazing that they had all those mirrors just planted around cam- campus just he in case. Was a hard work. No, no, it was a, that was a setup, Dan. You he may have played, missed yeah. it, but that was. Oh, a, sorry. They kind of gloss over it. That that was definitely the hijinks of Chris Knight. A uh, genius student who is okay. So let's let's get to that Val Kilmer, who's gone on to be in many other movies. Bigger and I, things. I, I, you know, I I will say if it things. wasn't if it weren't for Val Kilmer, then this movie might have might have taken. No, me. but no. I think I think yeah. he makes it. So so he's he, kind of delightful. This I think this is the best thing that you know the best performance that he's given. I I think he's mm, I think wow. when you think about his career. And you think about some of the other things. I, I, I think he missed a real opportunity to be funnier in more things. Um, and the character is great, too, because this is this interesting. You know, he is he is literally what um, Gabe Jarrett, uh, Mitch Taylor was. He was a kid brought in too young, totally maladjusted and has basically decided he, whether he's burned out or he, he's just decided it doesn't matter anymore. And he's he's going to misbehave. Um really interesting character and yet at the end you know he is smart and he does have the breakthrough and it does you know it does matter to him that he graduate um and you know i i think dan is absolutely right without val kilmer and without this you know the character the way it's written this movie would not work absolutely i will say that kilmer has gone on to some other i feel like he is better when he's in a role that lets him flex his comedic muscles a little more i i think uh kiss kiss bang bang in recent years is another fantastic val kilmer role and that's because he gets to sort of the roles where he doesn't have to take himself too seriously like as anybody who saw his batman Mm. uh Mm. appearance knew um or tombstone which is like death (laughs) but kiss kiss bang bang is he's great in that and i I also threw out the saint as one of my favorite val kilmer movies which is also just sort of a ridiculous i love that movie that's a really fantastic movie John Syracuse, you've been strangely silent. On Val Kilmer for a second, don't you think he's done this frantic, real genius character like a lot of times after this movie? Maybe he's done it before this movie, but you know, you know the frantic Val Kilmer who's kind of crazy. This may have been the first incarnation of that character, but he was seen in many other movies, and I think that's what makes Kiss Kiss Bang Bang so great. It's because he doesn't play frantic Val Kilmer. Hmm. He plays. You know, a different character. He actually plays a character who's also very funny, but funny in a very different way than than the wacky, hijinxy, uh, irreverent Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer is basically Bart Simpson in this. I in this must, movie. I must not have seen the 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 wacky Val Kilmer movies then. Well, so the, before, I mean, looking at his filmography, he starts off in Top Secret, which yep. is a wacky Val Kilmer role. Absolutely. 
he goes to real genius, and then he flips it around totally and plays Iceman in mm. Top Gun, which is a totally non-comedic role, really. Yeah. And then he's Jim, and then he's Jim Morrison in The Doors. Uh, don't, nope, you skipped Willow. Well, all right. Yeah, that was a wacky Val Kilmer right there. And then The Doors. Tombstone. Deadly. Batman Forever. He was in Heat, he was, though. I mean, that's that's he was a different one of my favorite series movies with him in it. And actually, I liked him in Willow too. I also liked him in uh, more recently in uh, Spartan, the David Mamet movie, hmm. which is again a a different. That's a totally on you know a totally serious Val Kilmer role. I, I was gonna say I was I was gonna be proud of Dan at the beginning of this because he was coming in and saying I don't understand why you guys like this movie. It's not that good. And I was like, yeah, that's my guy, <laughs> you know, but. Then he backed off a little bit. No, I mean, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying again. I said, you know, I maintain that I think Val Kilmer holds it together, but I do agree that just, it's just not barely compared to compared to many of the other 80 movies that you know I've seen, grew up and enjoyed. I mean, granted, Short Circuit not a great movie, but I no. kind of love. I yeah. love Short Circuit, and maybe oh. that is largely tempered by nostalgia. But I think I think there's some good stuff in there. So I saw this movie at exactly the right age. I think I think it was around 10 or 11, and that's. If you're 10 or 11 and you're nerdy this and, and you're in the 80s, this is probably a good movie for you. Uh, well, I saw it at 14. So tonight was the, the first time I'd seen it, I thought, like, in, like, decades. And so I, I remember loving it as a kid, but I didn't really remember much about it. But it's one of those experiences when you rewatch a movie where yeah, I didn't realize – first of all, I realized that I had the script memorized because I knew what everyone was going to say word for word before it came out of their mouth. So I'm like, boy, I, I must – this must have really had an effect on me. But if you'd asked me before the movie, name a line from this movie, I could name maybe two. But then as they're saying it, I'm like, I'm psychic. I know what everyone is going to say. And you realize how many little snippets of dialogue are, that are in your head that I – previously, before watching this, then I would have not been able to identify where these things came from. Yep. And then you see them like, oh, that, that's where that comes from. Now, all that said, I finished watching the whole movie, and I'm like – this was not a great movie. First of all, I, I see all of the 80s stuff that didn't bother me in the 80s because it was of its time, but now really great on me. That the, the ridiculous treatment of women, the, the illogic, the wacky montages and stuff like that. And I was thinking about, you know, it's not that I dislike the, the sort of, you know, cliches of 80s movies, you know, but it's just that they're, they're, they're done so much better now. I was thinking that, like, Donnie Darko is a better 80s movie than any 80s movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because Donnie Darko does all the things that they oh. they're right down to this the, to the musical montage with the exact same song that they end this movie with, right? Or the Wedding Singer. The Wedding Singer was a actually was like a reconstructed '80s movie that tried to out '80s '80s movie. Mm. Exactly. With modern interpretations, I think we've we've improved upon the form. But then the second thing was that I don't I don't think the comedy was really landing for me as an adult. Like when I was a kid, I think you know I found these lines hilarious and clever, and you know, but. That's an interesting point because you know I felt like listening to the to the the, the sort of the one liners and stuff that what the comedy tries to evoke almost a, a Marx Brothers like a Groucho Marx type of humor like the in the, in the rhythm it does yeah well the license plate thing for example like oh yeah you know my yeah. mom used to do the same thing license to to my underwear she put license plate in your underwear I mean it's like a it's like the so I shot be an elephant more in my around the lab you want me to gain weight yeah yeah I mean and I think it's you know it's not as good. As Groucho Marx. Well, it's funny you should mention that one of the writers of this movie actually wrote, um, he was part of the Zucker, Abram Zucker kind of factory and wrote various parody <laughs> movies, including, I believe, Brain Donors, which is the mar modern, attempt to do a modern Marx Brothers movie, which with uh, John Turturro, I think, and, and was a complete failure. But they actually did, one of the, one of the writers it's, of this movie. It's hard to pull a Marx Brothers movie. Without the Marx Brothers? Yes. It's awfully, awfully hard. 
So, John, what I'd say about the about the dialogue is I think there are jokes in this movie that worked better for me when I was a kid, but the, but some of the dialogue has stuck with me, and it's not it's not the stupid jokes really, and I, I guess that would be the same sort of effect that I have with um with uh, uh the Princess Bride where. Where a lot of the oh don't just, don't you bring that yeah. movie into this <laughs> a lot absolutely don't you dare absolutely I I, I quote real genius just as much as Dan before because he brought war games into it and I was going to ask you so compare oh oh compare this movie is so much better than up. war games it's not even oh, close. oh my God. no you can't no, you can't no, no, do no. that yeah. Yeah. you can't do that to me war games is my eighties movie you can't do that to they're me. both flawed and I've already thrown the plot of this movie under the bus because the plane and the and the air force base and all that is just atrocious. But think about this. Uh, these movies do have so much in common in terms of, like, defense industry, hacker, smart kid type thing. But think about this. Can you name a single moment in Real Genius that is remotely close to being as emotionally true as any moment in War Games? Like, there is just there is just nothing there in, in Real Genius. It's, it's a glib 80s comedy hmm. that doesn't take itself seriously. It's fine. But there is no emotional core of truth anywhere in this movie. Whereas War Games, War Games stands up to this day as as the truth of being that kid in, in that situation. Obviously, the situation itself is ridiculous, but the truth about how the people feel in, in any particular situation makes war games work, despite the ridiculous, preposterous plot in these two movies here, is that one of them works when you're a kid and doesn't work when you're an adult. The other one works when you're a kid, and then when you're an adult, all the things that are ridiculous, you're willing to forgive because, because the heart is still there. Well, and you also have, you know, the only way to win is not to play, which... Oh please! It's such a great line. It, from... it's, it's it's heavy. Hand, it's heavy <laughs> handed, but you Shush. feel feel for the characters. You feel you you identify with Matthew yeah. Brock's character, and you you identify with you know even the, the Professor Falcon who lost his child and everything. All that is, all that works. It's it's still a ridiculous story. The plot is still ridiculous, but everybody is slightly less cartoonish. The military people are slightly less. Oh sure, they are in this movie, and and the, <laughs> well, the, the situations they're in slightly less cartoonish. You're right. You're right. The guy from Northern Exposure and the Whopper supercomputer are very much more um, attached to reality than. Uh, I mean, there's a screwball comedy aspect to Real Genius that is not present in War Games. So, so it's not necessarily a fair comparison straight up. That, let, that's let actually me... the second thing I was going to complain about, though. The, the screwball comedy aspect of it. So Jason had said who, before... Who that it invited was a, it you was... on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you asked him what he was thinking. I mean, this one's on you. Well, he was silent. I knew he was winding up. The, the longer I let him not talk, the worse it was going to be. Steve so Bell. Pitch. Incidentally, can I just throw a random thing that's neither here nor there? I know. Can someone tell me who the character of Milton is? Because I was hugely yes, amused. It's to Dean see that Devlin. He's by, I know it's Dean Devlin, but I couldn't. I couldn't identify him while watching the movie. Yeah, he's he's um the scene that Electric shock uh, that or? I've noticed. No, no, it, it's the scene that I noticed is it's in the uh, student beautician um, t- swimming pool tanning invitational scene. There, there's uh he's one of the guys in that group, and I think he's okay. in some other scenes, like the scene where I mean, in many ways, this this screenplay appears to have been constructed around anecdotes about wacky hijinks at Caltech. Um, and, and so that's one of them. And the guy who stands up and screams and then leaves and then nobody pays attention to him as he runs out, which I've been told actually happened. And, and that is a, is a fairly accurate portrayal. Yeah. That happens on a regular basis. I would buy that. I I, I would buy that. Yeah. You see that in college? I think I actually have seen that in college, but I wasn't sure whether it was just a real genius reference at that point. When I was looking up, when I was about to watch the film, I was looking up something online and I found a whole like three page list of here are all of the things that are based on Caltech stuff from Real Genius, or here are the locations that are trying very poorly to mimic Caltech locations. 
These are the graffiti from Dabney House that they actually pulled off of Dabney House and applied into the into Pomona's campus. You, all right, now I want to I want to try to get us back to a peaceful standing word, something we could all agree on. I want to talk about the science in the movie because I was surprised on rewatching it. I watched it a number of times, watched it when it first came out, and a number of times since. But rewatching it, I was like. The science didn't bother me, which is rare for a film that's supposed to, you know, be about geeks. Usually, it's total garbage, and I know there were lots of gobbledygook in it. But um, the sort of the the whole focus of it, and like even the lab work and everything, it didn't bug me. It didn't look totally fake and ridiculous to me, and I was sort of surprised by that. I, my my memory, it was it was just some kind of concocted super laser stupid laser crap. But even though they were speaking sort of nonsense or it seemed like there was nonsense there sounded like a kernel of truth in it so was there was there a kernel of truth in the popcorn scene oh no that's Ah. my that's my subconscious making that joke incidentally uh, wikipedia says mythbusters tried to see if you could pop enough popcorn to explode a house and apparently you can't the answer is no no it just burns it just burns So there's the answer to your science question where's your precious science now i believe they built a fake house specifically for that scene and then spent three months um no it's it's a big it's a it was an actual house oh in the movie oh, you mean. house size in the movie, in the but movie. it has like open parts they they built it to do what it does in the movie because a real house wouldn't do that and then apparently some intern at the studio had to spend three months popping popcorn wow Poor bastard that guy then screamed and ran out of the he studio. He did. It was it was yep. it was strange. No, you're, I, I think the the physics isn't exactly right, but they they did actually have some science consultants to talk about like what would be the what would be involved if you were a laser uh, developer and you were trying to find different um, different uh, molecules or elements to use in the construction of the laser, just so they would get that sort of right. It doesn't, you know, in a movie that is not striving for incredible realism, it doesn't. Thankfully, they're very. There's only one scene where they do stupid things with computers, and I know this will oh, be yeah. near and dear to John's heart. Where they where they manage to hack through the government oh, database. They're doing the by, uh, with six six A's. Yeah. And yeah. Six oh A's my and god. It like, would oh, take yeah, a I'll few take, minutes. Yeah, take them all. Uh-huh. Take six hours if you go through every eight possible eight letter combination, including uppercase and lowercase. So doesn't that doesn't it bother people as adults though who are in the technical field that that they the movies will strive like this to get the details right, but they'll never. They'll never make the actual work of of doing technical or science things a dramatic part of a movie. It seems like very, well, because very. Because it's boring. It's not boring though, because they'll do it. They'll do it with stuff like almost anything else. Sports for sure. You can have a wacky movie about sports that respects sports, that takes it seriously, and that makes it an integral part of a movie, like the the progression of of skill in a sport in a movie. That's an easy sell, right? I, okay, okay. I, I will throw out. I will throw out a counterexample, which is sneakers. Which is a great movie that does do uh, technology fairly accurately, albeit having a. It, it's not the technology part of it. It's just that, like, showing how the people who do this for a living actually work and the dramatic aspects of it. Obviously, you remove the boring aspects of it because no well, one. So, so John, in this movie, one of the things I like about it is that they they do make some attempts to make the act of of not just inspiration, although there is that you know the moment where Val Kilmer you know his his way of stealing coffee from the vending machine by freezing uh, carbon dioxide with liquid nitrogen and it falls out and he has this idea that if he freezes the the uh, the you know the material he's using for the laser he might be able to make it work but there are several yes I'll grant you musical montages because of course there are uh, where where he and Mitch are working on the laser project and trying different things and um, it bursts into flames at a couple of points and and it, it does seem that this movie's trying to get across some of that, that it's actually, you know, they're actually trying to uh, figure out how to build this laser 
which you know you don't usually see so you know there i think some attempt is made here to show these people actually uh performing uh science in something vaguely resembling reality instead of having it happen off screen or you know in some other kind of bogus way so the main thing i was referring to with the with the with the bad science is you can't really fault this movie for it because it's not about uh, this aspect of the science because they did try to do showing the laser science but when they did the computer science part of it and this bothers me in all movies and, and computers were not a central part of this movie so it's really not a problem with this movie but whenever they have a movie that's showing anyone who does anything with software it's always you can just take your your magic code and upload it and it runs right the first time so sure. we're going to take your code and we're going to install it on some piece of hardware that you've never seen before and it's going to do some amazing thing that's going to completely alter how it works and it's going to work on the very first time which is which is as far removed from how actual hardware and software work as it could possibly be it's it's like no wait a minute two two things two things first that's the will smith theory of coding of course for independence day that's the ultimate example no no <laughs> they wrote that software they wrote that software it was their system they developed that was up in the plane. John's trying to make a broader point because, but there is the one when, other than when they're hacking into the you know defense mainframe. I, you, Glenn's right. You know the idea here is that they built the system. For it the doesn't laser. matter if you built it. It does not matter. You know you'd have to sit there and test. Let's override this thing to point at a different target, and they would have to test that with the actual piece of hardware in the field millions and millions of times before they got all the bugs out until they got it to right. Laszlo built an emulator. But Laszlo is a genius. There's no such thing as that kind of genius. Everybody's code doesn't work. It's real genius, John, <laughs> not fake genius. That's that's the worst. It's not the not a fault of this movie. I'm just saying in general. You see this in in <laughs> in lots of movies where it is basically because the screenwriter needs a a way to get from point A to point B, yeah. and and you get the you know how do I solve this problem? I know we will hack into the system, and it's lazy and it's completely wrong in most cases. Or we'll install this special program that will right. take over and do something amazing. That you know to to do that thing amazing from scratch would be impossible to do on the first try, let alone like break into another thing. The best example I can give is from your previous podcast where you were dubious about the uh, the old wives' tale about I don't know if it's old wives' tale, but the legend about Harlan Ellison that he just writes straight through. And doesn't revise. And as a writer, you're like, yeah, okay, right, whatever. That's true. That is true. It's not a. Yeah, it's not I, I know, but but okay. people people were dubious <laughs> about it. Even at short story length, they're like, yep, sure, but come on, like never goes back and edits. You know, it's even more ridiculous to think that you know that a programmer would do that because a writer, it's like, well, it doesn't have to execute. You know, if the writing is not as good as as you wanted well, yeah, it to be, well, so yeah, what? If your grammar doesn't make yeah. any sense, then then you're now, in trouble. Tell it to tell it to Cormac McCarthy, but. But for programs, the average number of bugs per line is like, you know, one bug every hundred lines or something. So you can write two million lines of code with no bugs. It's not going to happen. This would have been a very different movie. <laughs> yeah, this this movie is strangely not, not a major offender in this, as opposed to almost every other movie on this subject. Yeah, which it, is... It, is, it is a big offender in the computer area, but it's, not, it's so tangential to the plot that it's supposed to be like, yeah, and then there's this computer stuff that happens. See, but, you know, and that's one of the reasons that I like Real Genius is I feel like this is... This is this is the movie where they they're the only ones in it. There is no they're not really put in opposition other than the bad military men. Um, it's just well, them and their internal douchebags like Jerry right. and Kent. Right, <laughs> right. But they're in the family. They're and then and they're the heroic uh, people. And then the the uh, then there's Jerry and Kent. Um, I want to talk about Laszlo a little bit, uh, just because I think one of the things that people remember when I mention this movie is that there's the guy who lives underneath the dorm and. Um, and that John Grease, who is who plays Laszlo, is is like in everything. Well, he's the, he's like the guest. He's the guest actor extraordinaire. And I thought it was funny because right before I watched this, I didn't realize he played 
he played Laszlo, and I knew I know him from a dozen other stuff. When I was growing up, uh, he was on the show The Pretender. Um, he had a um, a star, a sort of a major role on that. He's Ben's father on Lost. Yeah, and most recently, I saw him in a guest starring role on um, Supernatural, <laughs> mm. which I thought you would be amused at. Wow. He, well, he'll do. He'll obviously. He needs the work. Clearly. You watch Super He really Lethal? is everywhere, but this is this is a defining role. Every time I see him in a movie, I go like, "Hey, hey it's Laszlo. And again, this is a movie I had I had almost no memory of, but I sure remembered Laszlo. Oh, he's like the Booger character from um, from uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, Booger, remember he's in like everything. Mm, I, th- like, I think of him as Herbert Viola, though. Yes, well, that's I, right from Moonlighting. Okay. More appropriate, I'm sure. But but Laszlo. So I do. I say, "Hey, it's Laszlo." But. Um, Interesting. I mean, people remember there's the, there is that memorable scene where they the, in the closet there's the strange little cart that takes you down and into his lair. Um, and then also part of his story is that he's entering the uh, Frito Lay sweepstakes. Enter as often as you like. Uh, so he does, and he figures he figures he'll win sixty percent of the prizes, but he only wins forty percent of the prizes and thirty-two percent. Yeah, and he and he says, "Oh, I got to figure that one out because there's something wrong with his statistics." But that's also based on a true story that somebody. I believe at Caltech discovered one of these enter as often as you like sweepstakes and uh, did a mess. They punch card it to, to yeah. send the entries in. Yeah, which is now the rules have changed in the entryway because somebody figured out how they could game the system. And they just toss that in there kind of weirdly and randomly, and he ends up in a Winnebago. At the it was end. predictive but, because, you know, the Wired article recently about how um, uh, lottery systems can be gamed if you know a certain, you know, with a certain effort. So right. people are starting to win statistically improbable sums. One woman won, like, what, $400,000 prizes in a row. And I which, thought about, about Laszlo when I, I read too. that article. I did, I said, Laszlo, where are you? <laughs> Well, the best part of that Wired article is explaining that how it was a money laundering operation for the mob, and mm-hmm. that you know this the statistics angle of it was a minor factor, and that just plain old corruption was where the real money was going. But it was a it was a stats professor, I think, who figured it out, or or some other some science. There's a whole bunch of people breaking these scratch games and stuff, yeah. yeah but then they then revised them. You could make a movie about that, real statistics, and it would all be about lottery, and there'd be this guy that would no, all right, maybe not. You could you could do the scratch ticket thing. You could make that into a movie pretty easily. We, we'd watch them do the algorithm. Watch them at whiteboards. Work out algorithms and that, like, that would be, be two-thirds of the movie no because the, the movie the movie is about that uh, that he figures out the scratch game in the beginning and the movie is about how you know so once you have this knowledge do you cheat do you not cheat do you become fabulously wealthy and then can't you know that's the movie it's not well they try and they tried to make that movie and it was called 21 it was based on bringing down the house oh yeah and, yeah. It, and it was really really terrible because as <laughs> as we have learned you, even if you have kevin spacey in a movie you can't really show people trying to count or Count cards or do statistics. Yeah, there's like w- there's another poker mo- poker movie too, wasn't there? Rounders, a good Black. poker's movie. That mm-hmm. was an excellent poker. That's my favorite poker movie, I think. Oh my god, what you like something? I'm confused. Rounders, here. yeah. <laughs> Rounders is a good movie. That's a I'll great movie. You, you know, John Rounders doesn't have nearly the emotional depth that works. It does. Films, I think. I think it does. <laughs> I think you you feel for you know the, the 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 loser friend always pulling him into the bad games. You feel for him when he's getting beat down. By the uh, the cops when they the cops find out they're cheating in the cops game, I feel like that was a, a solid movie. The only thing ridiculous in that movie is John Malkovich's character, but it's ridiculous in a good way. We're talking about other movies of this time, but I feel like there's like you know there's like that the, I don't know it's not a triptych, but it's like Tron and War Games, which precede this, and then and then Real Genius, and they're all that same same genre of film that sort of came and went i mean there was the 80s part of it the montage all the stuff we talked about but there's also like what in the 90s i was trying to think of films in the 90s that were like 
this movie. I mean, Jurassic Park with that terrible scene where the girls hacking the Unix system, they're like flying over the Unix file system in a 3D visualization of that was slash a real program, USR. Though. I know it's real, but it's like, I know Unix, she says. Don't forget the QuickTime, the video conference that's actually a QuickTime movie where you can see the progress bar. <laughs> the QuickTime movie, yeah, with a little scrubber. Well, you see, when the scrubber reaches the end, time ends. Exactly. <laughs> that's the exactly. secret of that movie. And it's, the dinosaur a, kills you, oh then. My God, it's, it's, it's really a hard sci-fi movie. But was there other stuff besides, I mean, Jurassic Park, I'm sort of bringing that ridiculously, but did we get into the blockbuster era where you couldn't do movies that were... This is the Caltech version of your 80s teen movie, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- th- that was a... 80s teen movie yep. was a thing, right? And John Hughes... You could, you could apply that formula to almost any setting, and they did. Oh, yeah. so the social network is the 2011 yeah, version. Yeah, so, social then. network is like, well, nowadays you have to take it more seriously, and you have yeah. to be, like, dramatic, and it's going to be Oscar-worthy. Like, they can't, you know, because you could have done social network in the vein of Real Genius, but they chose not to. I, w- I would like the Winklevoss twins to be in Real Genius. That would be an interesting... Just They could be Kent. Here's yeah. my question for the film. Where do you get the ranking of the smartest people in the world in order? Where does Sherry Nugel get it? <laughs> wait, wait, Wikipedia. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Sherry, Sherry Nugel invented Wikipedia, didn't you know? That would make, well, her and Laszlo, Laszlo did coding. I, I can only assume, guys. I can right. only assume that that is a, again, based on some sort of anecdote or like urban legend. I'm sure Cal, the woman didn't look Caltech. like that, though. I mean, there used to be lists, but they were posted and they were circulated and not necessarily... <laughs> So, so no one else is, is uh, still bothered. I mean, we all talked about how ridiculous the women are treated in these movies, but I have find it trouble have trouble watching '80s movies because of that. You know what's fascinating though about this, which I just looked up um, while watching, is this movie was directed by a woman. Yes, it was Martha, yeah. Martha Coolidge. Mm-hmm. It, you, yeah, you don't fault it's it's of its time, right? This was just you know it wasn't egregious for its time, but now watching it now, it's like it's just it's just such a waste. Like every time a woman comes on screen, it's like, oh, watch her come on to the main character. She, I mean, it's just. It's such a waste. I, like, why are they even in the movie? It's so uh, the the woman's waiting in the room. She, he, he says, "Do you mean she wanted?" To? They couldn't even say "make love," which is the usual '80s horrible euphemism because they don't want to say "sex," right? They said, "She wanted to jump you." You can't even say, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's so That's strange and puritanical. Yes, That's yes. The 80s he, sa- he says these are student beauticians. This may be the only time in your life that you may have sex. Yeah. I know, but when when the kid goes into but the room, you're right. supposed to be, you know, that that's '80s for you. But well, it's also very out right. of the blue, well, where you're just kind of like, wait, what? And it's also kind of like the you know the people. It's it's the characters who are not with it, who are a little bit reserved. Yeah. So I mean, I, I let that one slide, but I agree that the the women characters are are kind of good in short shrift. But then again, as as Jason I think said, you know, Caltech in the '80s, I'm sure there were not a ton of women. Yeah, well, at least at least, although she is a a, a caricature, at least there is a positive. Uh, you know, one of the one of the people on the team is is Jordan, and she is portrayed positively, and she's smart. But the you're right, you've got you've got these other uh, two characters who are basically like the daughter of the the evil general, and the woman who's collecting um, uh, the br- greatest brains in science. And yeah, there's no real excuse for that. I will say, despite being a caricature, I, I knew people who were like Jordan at Caltech. I, oh were, no, were, she 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 had a character, yeah. and she wasn't just there. You know, like, it's the typical '80s things where you have the mousy, uh, quirky woman, but you always get an actress who's a knockout anyway, and then you just try to ugger down. That's the '80s. The, yeah, but 80s, but to do that, you need to have the tra- you have to have the transformative <laughs> scene, which they don't do. With yeah, Jordan. she doesn't take her, she doesn't take her glasses but off. You don't need the transformative. Scene. They they put her in cute little outfits. I mean, like if I you, mean, they put her was, in a wetsuit. Yeah, she was, you know, if you take her out of any of those outfits, like, 
she's not your typical <laughs> student, Caltech student, uh, sure. female student. I sure, but they, they do give her a funny haircut, and they don't do the, the rule, John. I think you got to go all the way, right? Is they start that way, and then they take off, they get a haircut, and they yeah, take yeah. off their glasses, and they become transformed. And Jordan is just Jordan throughout the movie. She That's is, right. she does have the funny haircut, and she but does. but it is treated in some ways like the like the token, right? She's the token oh sure. Girl. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her clothes do her clothes good is slightly more revealing. Sure. Well, no, it's 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 true. It's like we can't not have we can't not have a, a, a female character in the group of of heroes. So so she gets sort of inserted there, and right? she has yeah. to be a love interest. Right. And she's the love interest for the hero. You know, yeah. she's never yeah. brought. It's never brought up as oh, she's the only girl on the floor. You know, like I feel like in a movie today <laughs> or in a movie later on, there would be they're like, look, she's the you know because they were making bones about ages they would also right. make bones about you know female male she's the right. only girl except i find it <laughs> i find it charming that she has no problem just walking into the room the bathroom while mitch is peeing at the urinal <laughs> and has a whole conversation with him and and when he he says he can't pee she's like is it because i'm here because she's like whatever i don't think this is a big deal it's a it's a cute little story. no i i like her as a character actually i think she is she is one of the more human characters in the movie she has the same haircut as that person from tron too so i wouldn't say it's an ugly yeah haircut. well i will i oh. will definitely argue that olivia wilde probably watched this movie and took some of her demeanor huh. off of that that was all I could think of when I was uh, watching this movie. That's really interesting. I looked up Michelle Myrink because I was like, she was in a few Martha Coolidge movies at the time, and apparently she gave up on the glitz of Hollywood, became a Buddhist, and like thinks it was all kind of dumb, which is awesome. I was like, that's great. I mean, she, you know, I just, it was like, people were like, whatever happened to her? It's like, oh, she's a, she just decided this is all material and pointless and moved to Vancouver or something. It's like, yeah. I, I wish I could say that about Gabe Jarrett. But... <laughs> He's still acting. He's still acting. He's kind of handsome now, though. Uh, yeah. He's kind of handsome. He's, he's got kinda, a headshot on IMDb kinda, that makes him yeah, look Yeah, I like saw a, it the other night. It, it's kind of uh, scary looking. Am I the only one who's in love with this man? What's wrong with the rest? <laughs> he does have delicate features. <laughs> it, is, it is so... When I first saw this movie, um, the first like five minutes of it in the movie theater were off. They, had, they, they hadn't reset the the um, right aspect ratio on the projector. And so the first time you see Mitch, his face is elongated. And I thought, oh, my God, he's a horrible elongated freak. And when they fixed it, he, he still was. He looks, a little bit, he looks a little bit like a fish. That's my – if I map an animal to him in this movie. Yeah. I know he's going to listen to the podcast. I'm sorry. I, 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 I do – you know, I feel, I feel for Mitch, right? I, I do I, – I certainly put a lot of my feelings of, of um, isolation – uh, on to Mitch when I watch this movie. I, I, I do. I I never, you know, called my parents from college and asked to come home oh and God, discovered my room was rented. Um, but I, I certainly, you know, had had bad experiences like that and felt isolated like that. Did, did you look at uh, Mitch's face in the uh, in the so when they're playing it over the loudspeaker, right? And uh, and they have the shots of Mitch, you know, in his embarrassed moment. It's the worst acting I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I don't know what expression he was going for there, but he might as well have been filing his fingernails. Yep, uh, I'm supposed to be sad here, embarrassed no, I, or something. I do wonder I what would ha- have happened if they had if they had cast that part a little bit with an actor. Better. Yeah, I I, it, I have to wonder. <laughs> with an actor, you got uh, it. wasn't It wasn't written. It wasn't written that well though, because he didn't. He just didn't have that many lines. He, uh, like, if you ask someone who who is not a nerd who watches this movie, who's the main character? I bet they'll say Val Kilmer. Even though the movie opens with Mitch and follows yeah. Mitch, they're going to say Val Kilmer is the main character because he comes out of the screen and Mitch is just like there. Yeah, well, he, Mitch is sort of there. It's almost like a relay, right? Mitch is there to hand it off to to Val Kilmer as his mentor, and then at that point, it's it's yeah. But it's true. I, imagine if a better actor was playing that 
playing that part. By the way, when we talk about realism and emotional connections, I never once had a hot girl um, in my room when I was hacking into something on my 300 baud modem. Ali Sheedy was legitimately mousy. She could not work as a model. Hey, and she was in uh, she was in Short Circuit too. It's good. Yeah, well, let's not talk about Short Circuit. Ali Sheedy. I love Short Circuit. You guys, are I like I like the robot too, but you know, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a robotics expert on to explain how that is totally wrong. I actually bought a copy of the soundtrack to this, which turns out there never was a soundtrack. But a guy on eBay basically he had tracked down the vinyl of all the songs that were that that were in this movie and made it into a CD. So yes, I bought a pirated CD on eBay, but they they were basically never released. And so yes, if you've if you've missed Chaz Jankel or the Comsat Angels, well, you haven't really missed much, but they're the ones that are playing over those montages. But there is what Tears for Fears and Brian Adams and I mean it's yep. got some 80s. It, it it definitely sets a sets a a tone with the uh, with the soundtrack the other songs are like 80s movie soundtrack they're just like so on the nose they might as well be singing you like one of those things where uh, literal music videos you know and they're working they're not that bad but they're close you know you, you know it's yeah that it that's the, the one part when i said i i don't like i, I love this movie unironically the, the part of it i love ironically is the montages because you know yeah, the world could use more montages in their movies i like i love the montage i think the montages yes i know it covers a lot of sins of screenwriting and there are some very peculiar parts in these montages where characters are talking and you can't hear them and we don't know what they're saying well, and that's that's you have to you have to do that in the 80s yes. montage that's a big part of it that's that's where that's where the science is they should <laughs> yeah. just insert subtitles and say science it here. is actually it's mitch and, and chris talking about lasers and or carrying yes. big printouts this is also how you hide scenes that don't work right right exactly with the montage well, or that you don't want to do the research if you want to rank like 80s montage for like uh the, the best of the 80s montages i guess these aren't all genre films but th these montages were solid 80s montages i felt like but up and up in the top i would maybe put uh, with also with ridiculous on the nose songs uh maybe the uh the ones from karate kid when he's training or the footloose ones when he's learning to dance those are some those are some classic montage triple a uh, 80s montage stuff one of the things i like about the real genius montages is that there are some good jokes in there um one and and i i saw this movie right before i went off to, to college or a couple years before and um when i was in college in big lecture halls i would always laugh thinking of that the fact that there's the some people bring their tape recorders, and then more bring, people bring their tape recorders to the lecture over the course of the montage. And by the end, it's Mitch and a lecture hall full of tape recorders and a reel-to-reel -reel on the table from the professor. And everybody's given up on actually coming to class, and it's just all recorded. I, I was watching that with someone who looked at me and goes, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, I, di I, didn't, I didn't think young people would be even be able to get that. Because no. they'd be like, what are those huge things on the yeah. desks? I'm like, they're, they're tape recorders. I'll tell you about them later. Because at the time, that was the whole thing. It's like, I'm just going to listen to a recording of a lecture. Now it's like, it's like a podcast, kids. Ren, did that, make any, did, that, did that make any sense to you at all? The tape recorders I recognized just fine because I'd been seeing those growing up, but the boombox threw me for a loop. See, that's what I was going to say. I was like, young people are going to be confused by that boombox. They could record, too. They pilt in little mics. The, even the reel-to-reel -reel made sense, but the boombox, yeah, well, I'm hilarious. just like, you, 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 you can afford a boombox, but you can't a afford a handheld type recorder. <laughs> When I was in college, we bought our phonographic etching machines, so we'd put the phonographic etcher in there. <laughs> you, you got your lectures on wax cylinder. Yeah. We'd aim the horn at the professor, and then we'd walk off for 10 minutes and, switch, and go back and switch the discs. 
I actually just would bring another person. Your stenographer in, in your pocket. Yeah, you take the stenographer out. Yeah. You know, I went off to college. I was very sad when we never had a party with student petitions, by the way. That was a real letdown. Were you sad when there was no ice in your hallway? I would... I was actually quite sad that there was no ice in my hall, nor were there um, hijinks with laser beams. Laser beams. I had the wrong major, clearly. You major in, in high-tech pranks. That's, uh, isn't that a make you a major when you went to college? We did have, we did have yes. sororities, so, you know, but they weren't student beauticians. It's a very different thing. Um, did, uh, so, so, okay. Th- now that now that um, John and has beaten my favorite movie to death, which I expected when I when I invited See, him, I was I was gonna be critical, but then John showed up, and I feel like uh, you but know what? You I, need to, off I need to I need to mediate yeah. a little bit because John's here. Then you know I don't want to I don't I don't want to tear it to shreds. And well, and, and look, I will not. Although I love this movie, I I think there are plenty of things to criticize about it, and yet I still love it. I think it's a good movie for 11-year-old nerds in the 80s. I think that that's the best I can say. And I think it's a movie with, you know, it's certainly not without its redeeming qualities. A lot of funny lines, a lot of memorable things. It was enjoyable to watch. I think a lot of the funny lines didn't make me laugh simply because they were so burned into my psyche. So it must have really had an effect. On, it must have really had an effect on me in the 80s. So I'm not going to say that it wasn't funny, even though... Obviously, when you were 11, yeah. Yeah, I mean, seriously, like, because I have the, the entire script memorized, like... So it must have had a big effect on me then, but seeing it again now, the jokes weren't surprising and I didn't laugh at them again. But I don't think it's because they weren't funny. It's just because they were old to me. So I don't, I'm not going to say that it wasn't funny. But I'll, I'll say, say that it's an hour, an hour and a half of my life that, that I'm, I'm happy not to have back. Oh, wow. That's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> or at least a ringing something. You know, the, the, um, you know, I, 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 it's hard for me to judge it because – I've seen this movie so many times now that it is like comfort food, and um, and yet some of the some of the dialogue, yeah, some of the jokes, I just kind of glossed over. I was like, yeah, whatever. The the I'll uh, he wants to see more of you in the lab. I'll gain weight. Just no, forget it. But you know, there are there are lines in there that that uh, kill me to this day. So I, I think I caught a new one that I didn't catch when I was eleven. And Jason, you could tell me if I'm imagining this. I actually googled the script and I could not find it in the script. But it was it was just as they were cutting away from a scene and it was said under someone's breath. But they they made some gag line where somebody at desk said so and so is coming, and the other person's reply just before they cut away was, "He's barely breathing hard. He's not even breathing hard." Yep. Yeah. That I did not get when I was when I was a little bit <laughs> of that, okay? But I did get it this time around. I was like, oh wait, there's a new that was the one line that I didn't know was coming. Wait, can I let me let me I've got I've got a, uh, a since we're wrapping up, I can tell we're wrapping up. I've got a question. What were people's favorite films if they remember them? Was it from that from that period? I know some like I say, some of us were young or not born, but uh you know, mine was I'm gonna come out and tell you Highlander, not from the time but watching it later. Ooh. I know, which is horrible, but I watched that movie I think dozens and dozens of times with a group of people a few years after it came out. It was so bad and cheesy and full of Queen songs. That, that was but a was, great movie when I was 14. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, it does I, not I watched, age well. It does not <laughs> age well. But it is. it doesn't take itself totally seriously either. It's got ridiculous crap in it, and it's funny and whatever. But it's a stupid film. Oh, what, man. Does anybody else have a film like this is real genius? Is Jason's stick in the sand for 1985? We already brought it up, but War Games I watched endlessly mm. from age like – Age seven to about age fourteen. It was one of the many videos that we had taped on our beta player, 
So I would Data. just like I'd get home and I'd pop it in. I'm like, man, Maki Broderick's so cool. Which is funny because I didn't actually like Ferris Bueller <laughs> wasn't top on my list as not Lady, as good Lady movies, Hawk. But I Lady loved, Hawk didn't do it for you. No, but oh, I loved War Games. There was just something. There was something about that to the point where I like named my first couple of computers Falcon and like. <laughs> It was it was very very strange, but I still hold. He was, he was vulnerable and he wore a hoodie. I started war dialing because of war games. I had my three hundred baud modem, and I actually found a couple of things in my little small town. Is there a statute of limitations? Well, on that? I didn't really get anywhere, but I did find the local hospital actually had an open line, but we couldn't figure out what the password was because I didn't have the algorithm that lets you just start with a a a a a five minutes get. The it only password. takes six hours, Jason. I don't know what your problem was. You didn't realize the password. The password. I used to try. I used to try telnetting. I tried that. I didn't work. Although, although it has already been been roundly uh, uh, booed, I will still say that, that Short Circuit, to me, because it was one of those movies that I saw so much when I was a kid, I didn't watch a lot of movies when I was, like, you know, uh, you know, a, a small kid. I, I watched things like Star Wars and whatever, but, like, I didn't watch a lot of other movies because I just didn't really, wasn't really into it. Um, Star Wars? Was that a movie from the 80s? No. That's, those are, no, those have no time. That was from 1977. Was, you might be more familiar with it as Star Wars. 1980, Empire. I found it interesting while watching this how many similarities I saw to the, the themes of Short Circuit, which I love as a movie, maybe mainly because it just has a, a wisecracking robot in it. Um, but And that's a, that's a movie that I can quote. Like, like from Have you seen it recently? And you're still able to... Yes, I have. It still remains, I don't know, maybe it's just a nostalgia factor for me, but it really remains the, like, I don't know. I, I find it hugely amusing. I think there's something to be said for having a movie or some movies that you know by heart and that are, like I said, it's almost like comfort food. I will I will say, I, I make sure when I'm going on a long trip that I've got some device of mine with Real Genius loaded on it just because when I've been up for like 22 straight hours and I'm still, you know, three hours from finally getting home, I, I, I will put that on and I feel, uh, you know, comfortable and happy and, and I notice things. I actually notice things that I haven't noticed before every single time I watch it. And I, and I think about it and I think how many movies have I watched over the years that if I had decided to take the time and watch it 10 times, they would completely unfold and I totally get it. And I would think it was the most amazing movie ever. And, you know, the fact is you never do that with most movies. But I, I do believe every – well, not every movie. Lots of movies have the well, this level in it that most people don't appreciate because, you know, you have to see it a lot of times to get it. It also it also helps in movies where it's like, you know, I, I bonded with a good friend of mine over Short Circuit. And, you know, of course, we can quote it back and forth to each other. It doesn't get pissed. It doesn't feel happy. It doesn't feel sad. It just runs programs. You know, like you can just, you know – there, there are certain movies where you can just go back and forth with somebody and there's a sort of a shared experience there that makes it... You know, watching movies repeatedly can also have the opposite effect where every time you watch it, you, you realize yeah. what's what's bad about it. And That's I mean, true. Especially movies, especially movies when you saw when you were a kid. Like, sometimes I just don't want to see them again, but I just want to preserve my good memory. Like, Short Circuit, I had very good memories of when I was a kid, but by the time Short Circuit 2 came out, I was old enough to see how bad it was, and Short Circuit 2 was much worse than Short Circuit 1, and now I'm afraid to ever watch Short Circuit again, because I do have, you know, fond memories of, like, I love robots and the special effects and everything like that, and there were funny lines. I don't want to see it again and ruin all that. But if I had to pick, like, if I had to pick, like, 80s movies that I liked, one of them, actually, I, I showed to my son recently, but I figured he could handle it. He's uh, six, uh, soon to be seven, uh, and he's taking karate lessons. I wanted to show him the Karate Kid, which I held up as, like, the, the ultimate 80s formula 
you know, that, that Karate Kid's formula. They didn't invent it, but they perfected that formula. And I watched it again, and for the most part, it held up. But a few things, like watching it as an adult, I didn't realize, like, how abrupt certain things were in it. It just seemed so much more expansive when I saw it as a kid. But I would still hold that up as a, as a movie that has kind of... Uh, I don't know, it's like a guilty pleasure. I, I realize it's a bad movie, but I still get caught up in the stupid, you know, montages and emotional scenes. It, it, get, it did get worse upon seeing it mm. as an adult, but being able to see it through the eyes of my son helped. There's stuff that you're not cognizant of, of as a kid, right? Like, you don't know the first thing about editing mm-hmm. or whatever, but, you know, that you, especially after you've seen hundreds of more movies, right? You, yeah. you sort of have refined your understanding of the art form a little bit o- more. Although the... The best thing about that movie, seeing it as an adult, was seeing Elizabeth Shue in that movie and realizing she would be considered morbidly obese in in, in modern era. They would never cast her; as, they would cast her as the fat, ugly girl in any modern teen movie. And you just realize how ridiculously, you know, how, how the shape of women's bodies has changed in Hollywood. Like the, the standard that they that they are held to for movies like this now, where she just looked like a perfectly healthy, fine, normal woman, but you see her on the screen. With the mindset of I'm going to watch a movie and there's going to be a girl in high school and you're like, oh my god, she has, you know, she is not rail thin. I can't see every single one of her ribs. It's a miracle of casting. That's just uh, fascinating. And then, there are, and then there are there are movies from that era that fall into different categories. I think we, I mean, we already discussed the Princess Bride. You know, I throw something like you know Ghostbusters or Back to the Future yes. into that mix as well. I like, would say Princess Bride is a level above all those. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I, I because agree. I, I mean, I can watch that again and again. And that's the one that get, one that gets better. It does not get worse. You know what yeah. I mean? It just. No. I I love the original Back to the Future. I yeah, still and think it's, a, I think that I haven't seen that in years, really but I think that holds up too. I, I, I think um, my experience in watching them is that is that Back to the Future doesn't hold up quite as well as Ghostbusters, but they both hold up pretty well. I am surprised nobody other than tangentially brought up uh, one of the John Hughes movies as an example of a movie that you like from the 80s, because those are in many ways... Those the are all for girls, though. 80s Shut movies. Shut up. <laughs> you know, I can't... Well, I can't actually watch John Hughes movies. I have tried sitting are in you the bored? Breakfast Club in 16... I just... They don't do that if, for me. If you were born in the 80s, they would have got you. It, I think the cultural yeah. baggage is off-putting, but if if all that was removed... It those I never saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off until last year, oh, and it's I good. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So yeah, that's a good. That's a, a good movie, movie. and it's it was even movie. better in the eighties. Let me tell you. All right, I believe you. I believe you. I missed the whole John Hughes Ren, thing when it first happened. I don't know Ren, where can I was. We, can you hook up your time machine so we can go back and watch this all in the eighties? Because that would be useful for us. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you. I will see what I can do. If you're if you're fourteen and you're in the movie theater and and Real Genius comes on. Um, especially if you just saw My Science Project, which, which, you'll be like, oh, thank God, this isn't terrible like My Science Project. Has anybody seen My Science Project? Is it no, available? Did they burn the masters? That's a terrible, that's a movie that's yeah. so terrible in so many different ways. I remember Real Genius standing out as a different kind of movie, even though when we look at it now, it's like, oh, it's a typical 80s movie. I remember when I saw it at the time. Well, that... when you're in the 80s, it's just a movie. <laughs> <laughs> It felt it felt it felt different. It felt it felt different than the, it was like it was like a you know a, a underground kind of secret alternative type of movie you know as opposed to how we see it now. As much as you know, as much as John and I disagreed earlier, I mean, I, I think the truth is that one of the reasons that I I like Real Genius to this day is as a fourteen year old in a small town. Um, you know, I, I watched that movie and thought, wow, this is a movie. Again, yeah, caricature is fine. I, I, this is a movie with lots of really smart people in it who are not 
who are not they're the heroes in the movie and that really did have a resonance for me because you, you didn't see that a lot i didn't see people like that who i actually kind of identified with and i you know as a as a teenager as a high school freshman in in uh, hicktown in california sadly all those people then grew up to uh make terrible terrible yes. movies sadly like, like dean, dean De- devlin like dean <laughs> that's right yeah, I mentioned this on a previous that. podcast. There is an episode of Lost that has um, John Grease and William Atherton in it. They don't. They don't actually have any scenes together. But it, there is that moment where Jerry, yes, Jerry Hathaway and Laszlo are in an episode of Lost. And all I can assume is that somebody who worked on Lost um, like likes real genius because really, how could that happen? Um, and by the way, I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast. In that episode of Lost, William Atherton, kind of a dick. I know this will. I know this will shock you all. It held up. Yeah. Aren't you shocked by how how, how young and thin he looks? So I saw him in this movie. I'm like, oh my god, he looks like he's 12. You know, because you're so used to seeing him over the years playing that same character in that same way, and he looks much older now. Yeah, was... but it's it's the diehard Ghostbusters real genius axis. That was that's him at his peak of being a dick. <laughs> Oh well. Wow. So William Atherton and Gabe Jarrett are going to be missed in us. Well, I mean, I think he. Well, I mean, no, that's that was his. He he's if got they, houses. They, he's got a beachfront house look, somewhere for being a dick. He's very he's very nice. Maybe listen. If they call, if they call, save the message because it's funny later. <laughs> I right. I know a guy who's a film reviewer. He reviewed one of Frank Oz's movies badly, and Oz dug up his numbers in the '90s. Oz, I think, In and Out, something like that. He dug up the number, and Frank Oz left a long, incredibly angry and foul message. As Yoda or Grover, Miss Piggy calling you and cursing you out is pretty good. Fozzie Bear. All right. Well, I feel like we've uh, beaten my um, childhood love to death. Enough for now. That's apparently the modus operandi for this podcast is to destroy. This should be called "We're Destroying Jason Snell's Childhood One Movie at a Time." Destroyer of Dreams. Can we do a Micronauts episode too? Oh no! (laughs) Yes. Well, no. I already did that, and and Lisa Schmeiser took that one apart. So before somebody can say something else bad about Real Genius, quiet, everybody. (laughs) Um, I am going to say. say goodbye i again i'm not going to even leave you with a quote from real genius i'm just going to go watch it again to soothe myself so until next time on the incomparable podcast thank you to my guests dan morin thanks for having me jason uh thanks for watching the movie hey my pleasure that's 90 minutes that you didn't entirely dislike so that's good (laughs) glenn fleischman you can put that on the box my friend glenn fleischman uh thank you for being on this podcast after watching this movie with uh a a future chart charting pop musician right in a in a i did i watched i watched this movie in the driving with a with a now uh famous person at the time she was just in high school of course and then she built a laser and was famous ren caldwell thank you for um watching this little bit little 90 minutes of the 80s it was fun nostalgia jason your time machine was active john syracusa you were here (laughs) thanks for being a good sport jason i hope you just I hope you can watch this movie in the future and not hear my voice in your head. I, I, I will. But I, I may go back and watch, watch War Games so I can feel more emotionally connected. I hope so. Protovision, I have you now. Until next time, this is The Incomparable. I'm Jason Snell. I'm going to go cry now. Goodbye.
Oh, geez, I need to record. Welcome to your life. There's oh, no turning back. That's not good. Even <laughs> while we sleep. There, you're missing a few notes. You not in the right key. Yes, I am. Yeah. I don't think the latency of Skype is helping you out here. Everybody wants to rule the world. It also has a very strange obsession with the word penis.